Now on Documentary on News Talk, as part of a series of three programmes, producer Patricia Baker looks at the life and work of three women who broke ground for future generations. In this episode, Emeritus Professor of Phytochemistry at University College Dublin, Dervla Donnelly, a woman driven by an insatiable curiosity and love of science. She's been instrumental in Ireland's scientific success both as a scientist and a mentor. This is Groundbreakers, Dervla Donnelly. Ireland has transformed itself over the past 40 years into one of the world's top innovation countries. According to Science Foundation Ireland, we rank 14th in the global science rankings, with top positions in certain scientific fields. In agricultural science and neuroscience and behavioural science, we are third. And in immunology, we are second in the world. That is Ireland taking a key position on the world scientific stage. Not bad for a small country on the edge of the Atlantic. But we didn't get there overnight. We got there by the hard work and intellect of our older generation of academics, the groundbreakers, who lay the foundation. One such groundbreaker is Emeritus Professor of Phytochemistry at University College Dublin, Dervla Donnelly. She began her academic life in the 1940s. This woman was instrumental in Ireland's scientific success, not just with her own scientific research, but with her influence on science policy and as a mentor for some of Ireland's leading scientists, such as Professor Jane Meegan, fellow emeritus pharmacy Trinity College Dublin, who reflects back on Dervla Donnelly's influence as a scientist. So groundbreaking in that way. A role model, definitely. As the, the leading Irish chemist of decades, really, of, of the past decades, in terms of her contribution to phytochemistry, to organic chemistry, to organic synthetic methods, to isolation of natural products, particularly in the area of flavonoid chemistry, which was her particular um, expertise. She had her place on the world stage and as a chemist. As a chemist specialising in flavonoids, which are phytochemical compounds present in many plants that have a potential application in medicinal chemistry. In addition to Dervla's own scientific research, her impact was also in terms of developing Ireland's global position. Pat Guiry, full professor of organic chemistry, University College Dublin, director of the Centre of Synthesis and Chemical Biology. But she had great ties from all across Europe and across the world in terms of potential collaborations. And she was very keen that we benefited from those interactions. And she was very much involved in policy uh, in Europe, which I'll get to perhaps uh, later. But it's more that those international ties and collaborations were a benefit, obviously, to her and her research. But we as the students actually really benefit. But ultimately... The role she played benefited Ireland and researchers in Ireland um, significantly, I would say. Dervla Donnelly supervised 80 PhD students, a remarkable amount. Her students are now some of the leaders of Ireland's global scientific success. All of the people you are going to hear from have grown under her brilliance and mentoring skills. Scientists such as Helen Sheridan, Professor in Pharmacognosy and Natural Product Chemistry, Academic Director of NAPRO School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences, 
Trinity College Dublin. She changed the journey of our lives. As women, we felt very secure with her. And she thought it was not just about science, it was about life. First thing I learned from her was about integrity. So if you have integrity, if you approach people in the right way, you will have a success that's down to being able to build relationships on trust and all that sort of thing. The other was scientific excellence, obviously side by side, but actually built on integrity. And now that's a word that we use all the time, the integrity of research and everything. So we had that from the get go. In 2000, Dervla received the Boyle Higgins Gold Medal Award from the Institute of Chemistry of Ireland, awarded for an outstanding and internationally recognised research contribution to the advancement of chemistry. In 2017, Dervla was awarded the Cunningham Medal. She was the first woman to have received this award. I mean, the Cunningham Medal is, is the top medal at the Royal Irish Academy. It's the highest recognition, I suppose, that the... Royal Irish Academy can give, but also the Academy itself is the recognised body of academics um, within Ireland. Dervla's legacy is across many sectors of Irish society, ranging from inspiring second-level students across Ireland through her role as judge from the very first year of the Young Scientist Exhibition in 1964, a role she continued for 40 years, to being appointed as President of the Institute of Chemistry of Ireland. Governor of the Irish Times Trust and Director of the Irish Times Limited, Chair of the Custom House Docks Development Authority and Chair and Director of the Commission on Assisted Human Reproduction at the request of the Minister for Health. So, yeah, she's been asked to do a range of roles and you talk about policy, you talk about science, but, you know, she was the first female president of the Royal Dublin Society as well. You know, these are not the first things you would say an organic chemist should be involved in, but she had that great knack of transferring her learnings from science and how to deal with people into different spheres. Obviously was an academic of renown for many years and then went on to do very different uh, things at a very high level. Dr Donald Coveney, Managing Director, Top Chem Pharmaceuticals Limited. Just a high, high achiever, high performer and a great person to work with. Personally she was the most generous and engaging person, insightful Wonderful motivator and particularly supportive of women. But there's a steeliness there to get things done and to knock heads together. And she wouldn't have got anywhere unless she had the ability to draw people together and also the steeliness to get things done and to to push, but in in, in the right way. Looking back on it, I suppose it was remarkable that she was quite unique uh, at the time. And I think she was ahead of her time and a woman in Irish science at a time when it was really tough. It's only when you reflect back on it you realise how tough it must have been for her. Dervla started her academic life in the 1940s, 30 years before Ireland joined the EU, then known as the EEC. We were just beginning to bring in rural electrification and the prevailing image of women was as homemaker. This was three decades before the Employment Equality Act was introduced. So yes, it must have been very tough. And she is a remarkable woman. You've obviously met her and spoken to her and you've been taken by her charm and her warmth and so on. She's a a unique person, really. I met Dervler in her home in Dublin. She was warm and welcoming, an elegant woman with a long string of pearls and a smiling, kind face. It's very flattering to be asked to do something. And if you have the knowledge, why shouldn't everybody else have it? That's what I always believe in. If I have the knowledge later over the years give it to your students or give it to whoever body you're on. That is why you're appointed. She did. 
that's what made her utterly different. She was so generous in terms of everything to pass on that legacy of knowledge and enthusiasm and inspire people. This is the story of Dervla Donnelly, a gentle woman who dedicated her life to the cultivation of curiosity. I did a fair bit of work, but it was pleasurable. You don't, you don't see it as work. Looking back, I had an interesting life, you know what I mean? And she did have such an interesting life, with what seems on first glance a very diverse career, that interchange between white coat scientists to business manager in the boardroom. It's not very different. When you have a group of researchers, uh, you're running, if you like, a business. I started off when I was made the president of the Royal Dublin Society. That was the first three years. And to somebody from that society who indicated that um, I had turned it around. Now, I didn't turn it around, but I got the right people to turn it around. I never laid claim to that brilliance or ability in business. And uh, next thing, it was as a result of that, I was asked to go down through the Docklands and take over there. And I went down there for six years. I applied the same principle to what I had done in the RDS. First of all, I had to find out what was wrong. Problems are there to be solved in life. Apparently have an ability to sit and wait and see what's needed. And we go forward on that. Everything has been a slow builder. I've lived too long, you know, in the sense, and long may I live longer. <laughs> things have built up slowly. When you look back, it's amazing. We sat in her cosy kitchen, looking out on her beautiful garden. Dervla shared stories of her family life. She was born in Dublin. I, I'm a Dublin girlier. <laughs> Dublin girlier. <laughs> She lived in this house with her parents and two sisters. We lived actually in this house. This is our family home. Both my parents come from Limerick. And when they came up to Dublin, they rented a house in Turnure. And then they moved down here in 1930. And were the longest living in this road. Across the road, it was a field when I was a child. They're all new houses. At one o'clock every day, the donkeys would go looking for their food. It was, it was like clockwork. You always knew it was one o'clock when the donkeys started. Oh, it was like the countryside. I mean, it's changed totally now. Now the house is part of a well-established residential area. The donkeys are long gone. When Dervla returned to Dublin after her travels, she moved back in with her sister, the late barrister, Kira Donnelly. And, um, but I was travelling an awful lot and I was spent time in America and time in France and in Sweden. I came home then and sort of settled down. The two of us got on very well together. We're a small family. We're very proud of our in-laws and everything. You know, we're particularly lucky. Not being married, you see, this is my home. But we were really interested in racing. And we used to go to every weekend we were gone. When you say racing, do you mean horses, not cars? Racing horses. No, no, not cars. Don't know. We're bad enough with the horses. Dervla's interest in horse racing stayed with her all of her life. Her other interest as a child was science, which was unusual at the time, particularly when she never even had a chance to study it in school. I was educated in the convent of Sacred Heart in Leeson Street. It was a very good school. 
They had a science room, but they used it to cook for cooking classes. Science wasn't taught in many of the schools, you know what I mean? And uh, the advantage from our point of view, of course, was that we got languages. The study of languages was to become so important to her in later life, when she was building her international connections in the scientific world to the benefit of Ireland. But that was later. This is Dervla as a young girl in the 1940s, getting interested in science. But how? And what were the barriers she must have faced as a child? Around that, was there any feeling of you, because you were a woman, any kind of hesitancy? It it sounds crazy. You know, when I started off, I never worried about anything like that. Never even entered my head. If I wanted to do something, I did it. But I was lucky with my parents, you see. They believed in education. And one sister became a doctor, I became a scientist, and the other became a lawyer. And money was was scarce. They must have given up a hell of a lot. And people don't realise what our parents did for us. Unbelievable. But the parents of Ireland have been good for the people of Ireland, you know what I mean? She is a testimony to the impact the parents can have on children when they assure them they can be anything they want if they put their minds to it, which is particularly important for girls. But they definitely wouldn't allow me to do nothing. I was always a doer. I was my father's runner. Father was an engineer, brilliant photographer, very well-known prize-winning photographer. We had a dark room at the top of the house. You know, all the water had to be brought up from the changing. That was my job. That was what I was. So I was always sort of interested in that sort of thing, you know what I mean? Watching the chemical reactions as the photographs develop would be so exciting for a child. But how did she know that she wanted to study science when she didn't even get a chance to study it in school? Well, first of all, my father was friendly with the pharmacist in Turnier. And so I think they thought that I would go into a pharmacy. And that's one reason then I had to know some chemistry. And down the road was one of the lecturers of the chemistry department, a man called Keane. And when I was going up along, uh, I was kind of very keen on science and on that. And he began to teach me, and he was only a neighbour, and then suggested I go to DIT, did the year and then did it in my matric. That's how I ended up with chemistry. But I was going to have a bit of time in the university. I wasn't going to just go into a shop. It's fun. It's a marvellous life, student life. Her determination paid off. She got her exams and went to University College Dublin to study science. Graduating with first-class honours and then went on to do her PhD in flavonoid chemistry with Professor Tom Wheeler. And I did it within two years. And you did a PhD uh, in two years? Yeah, I got it in two years. So, yeah, I worked hard. I was enjoying what I was doing, like, you know what I mean? After completing her PhD, and half the time it would normally take, she went to do her postdoctorate studies at University of California, Los Angeles. Her first trip to America was by boat. Uh, I went out to the Queen Mary and it took me to New York. She travelled on a grant from the American Association of University Women. Give them great credit, the American Association of University Women, they looked after me. They got my apartment out there for me and everything. And in return, I used to have to go around America 
to the different American women's organizations and tell them about life in Ireland and what I was doing and my research. That's how I, so I went all over the States with them. It was lovely. It was, got to see the whole of the States. But I had a great time. Dervla returned to the chemistry department in UCD, starting lecturing in 1956. When I came back from the States, I worked on flavonoid chemistry with Professor Wheeler. He was a gentleman who, in fact, had worked in India. He travelled abroad an awful lot. So he brought back a different element into UCD. He was very modern. He knew that there was sort of another world. He was an interesting man. We loved him dearly. He saw the possibility for women. He actually had Eva Philbin working with him. There weren't many women and she was a delightful person. And she ended up as the professor after Professor Wheeler died. This was at a time when women in senior positions in academia was unusual. But there was an anomaly in the science department in UCD, where there was actually three women professors between 1957 and 1962. Carmel Humphreys was the first female professor of zoology, Phyllis Clinch, first female professor of botany, and Eva Philman, first female professor of organic chemistry. I'm not going to go into the whys. But to say this was an anomaly, and it did not continue on like that. Gender balance took a lot longer to achieve. Oh, that was extraordinary. It was coincidence. We were an extraordinary department. It was a great friendship in the chemistry department. We had coffee every morning at 11 o'clock. The coffee was put into a huge big pot, started fresh on Monday, and the same coffee beans were still there on Tuesday and Wednesday. So we were always extracting coffee. And you'd only stay about, not any more than 15 minutes having coffee. You heard what was happening. There was, there was a connection. And it was very funny. We reached a stage where we couldn't afford cups, so we didn't have something... So uh, everybody tipped in money and I went off to the races and we multiplied our money and we used to buy our coffee. I mean, that is the sort of thing. You went off to the races as in you gambled to make up? <laughs> there wasn't that much money. Did you do well betting on the horses? I didn't do too badly. My sister was better than me. She had a much better knowledge of the horses. But we had a great team and people are extraordinarily helpful to one another. This is the attraction in the science. You're not isolated. You do have people in any organisation or in any situation. You have people who don't give and then you have people who are generous. Most scientists are very generous because they're interested to know why. It's hard work and you spend hours, hours and hours and hours on it. But you get hooked. Dervla spent her life hooked on it, feeding her insatiable curiosity to find out the how and why. As Professor Mary Megan said at the start, Dervla is a leading Irish chemist. So she's a, an organic chemist, um, so that's dealing with the chemistry of carbon-containing compounds, and she was very much involved in natural products, so compounds that are made from nature, and had a particular interest in wood chemistry, um, how trees were being attacked by various fungi, the interest was trying to find out what those compounds were. So she was involved in isolation of compounds from nature and trying to find their structure. I took my chemicals out of the trees. If you isolate crystals 
my goodness, you say, I wonder what they are. You have to take it out and you have to identify them. Are they known compounds? Are they new compounds? You know, it goes on from there. There's a story attached to it. To isolate a new compound is as exciting as you could wish. (laughs) But in addition then, using synthetic organic chemistry, she was able to then, once you know what the structure was, that was your target molecule to make. So you could make analogues of it, as well as the compound you've got from nature, and test their biological activity. So it was that circular a way of looking at science of, you know, using nature as an inspiration, using nature as a source of compounds that would be of interest biologically, but then using chemistry to underpin that, to find out the structure, but in addition, find out ways, new ways to make those types of compounds. So new methods to make compounds of biological interest that ultimately came from nature. So I ended up working on wood chemistry, and out of wood chemistry, what attacks the trees, fungi, and everything, so I ended up in the fungus. Now, when I started working with uh, some of my fungal products, I realised that I needed biology, I needed botany. So I got the botany people to come in, and so we all worked together, and we identified what was causing the, the death of some of the forest trees. That was just one of the many problems that we sort of sorted out but, you know, the point is that you, you solved it. It was collaboration. It's, it's the way science was moving, and we moved with it. Um, multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary research now is the order of the day. Back in 1980, that was not the case. Derville was so far ahead of her time. So I worked with one of her botanists, Kitty Heslin. I worked on fungi that infected trees and looked at the chemistry. Kitty used to grow the fungus. She taught me how to do it too. And, and you know, like that's the way it worked. And we just took that for granted. And also I learned from that interdisciplinarity and working with the botanists that it's at the interfaces when two scientists from two different areas talk to each other. You talk a different language, you see new things, you create new things. And she'd be very impressed, I think, that I used to grow these fungi and we were looking at the materials that they produced. And I remember the Christmas of the big snow. So it was way back in the 80s. Belfield was covered in snow. You couldn't even get in. And I had an experiment on that needed to be harvested after a certain period of time. And I couldn't get into Belfield. I arrived in Belfield with, I mean, I remember it at the time, my father telling me I was insane. I had tennis rackets tied to my shoes in the hope that if I got in, someone would let me at my experiments. And of course, I didn't even get in the gate. But anyway, leaving that aside, when I did get in, instead of my fungus just looking tired in its container and the medium being would have started out a very straw colour, would have been kind of an intensey orange colour. When I got in, none of that had happened. The fungus had kept going and I had these magnificent crystals growing on top of the fungus that we'd never seen before. And I remember that as being one of the spectacular events. Everybody was awestruck. So instead of the normal product, we got something completely different because the experiment had exceeded the parameters that we had set for it. And I learned from that. And I learned, I did a lot of work after I left Derville on fungi and I learned, push some of them. You know, don't stay in the comfort zone. Let them grow longer. See if something new happens. So like what happened as an accident way back that we tried then again somewhere else now is 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 kind of part of the, of the narrative for trying things. And so all those adventures happened under her guidance and nothing seeming as important at the time as it turned out on reflection. Because she was such 
an important researcher in the whole area of natural products and of organic chemistry. Her particular expertise was in determining the structure of these compounds and classifying them in different classes and particularly in the area of flavonoid chemistry which was her particular expertise. These compounds occur in many many types of plants and they have important roles in these plants and they also in more recent years have come into prominence because of their anti-cancer and antibacterial and very many other biological activities of, of these particular compounds. I think it it really opened my eyes, if you like, to research in general in, in chemistry and particularly in synthesis of, of natural products. I developed my own area in medicinal chemistry and developed interest in um, the design and synthesis and evaluation of anti-cancer compounds. So I had the opportunity to take on this massive project. But actually, it's kind of blue skies research, which is the ultimate gift. So we began to look at the bogs of Ireland as a unique ecosystem, you know, as important as the tropical rainforests or the coral reefs in that they have species that haven't been investigated or looked at. And we know every time we hear about the trees being cut down, like lots of people just think about global warming, but I also think about the loss of potential medicines. And similarly with the coral reefs, because a lot of really interesting medicines have come from the organisms that live in, in the sea. So with the bogs, we're looking at the biodiversity therein and looking to see what unique species there might be and whether or not any of those species or the known species or unknown species may have chemical molecules in them that could be used to treat disease or could be the foundation of some economic enterprise in Ireland. And I don't mean like going in and harvesting plants from the bog or anything like that, because science and chemistry gives us the ability to find molecules that we can replicate in a laboratory. It's finding the idea. I asked Ervler what was she most proud of in her work. Well, I think it's my research students. I've had some very, very bright students. They've all had something to give. As I mentioned at the beginning, Dervla supervised 80 PhD students. 80, yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> I worked rather hard. And how did she do that in the name of God? Like, I think I've had maybe 20 and they've nearly killed me. You know, I don't know how she managed 80. And the thing is, she was never distant from them. She always engaged with people. I don't believe one person did their PhD with Dervila that she didn't know and understand and have a sense of, a very deep sense of who they were. And, and now I realise that one of the measures of academia is how successful your postgraduate students have been. And I mean, hers have been incredibly successful in business, in industry, in academia, across the way. They would all acknowledge the gift of having worked with Dervila. It's, it's all about your trajectory, a, a Dervila trajectory, like you were shot up like that. And then, and she never left you on your own either. Like she'd still follow through with you. And, and uh, particularly, I think, important in the early days was she would facilitate Japanese postdoctoral researchers to, to be in the lab. There was always one in the lab for maybe a year or two years. And, you know, at that time, you can imagine in the 1970s and 80s, it, it brought such uh, diverse experiences with techniques, with meeting people from different countries. That part of it was really, really enjoyable. When I consider her, I think she has hundreds of children who would look back at her with that 
special bond that you form with somebody at this stage of your life. You know, she she didn't just help us form as scientists, as young women, but as people who had a role in society. She created an awareness and also by bringing those different cultures and different nationalities into the lab, we were like long before interdisciplinary or international became words in science. Dervila was there. She was so far ahead of her time. It's built up over the centuries, you know, but it was exciting because when you, you, when you were doing it, it was new. And when you think of the techniques, you know, she introduced to us as postgraduate students, the latest chromatography techniques, the latest, and, and mass spec as well, which wasn't available in, in, in Belfield at the time, to help in the isolation of, of these natural products. She was aware of all of these that, you know, could be available and would be of, of help to everybody. Yeah. So groundbreaking in that way. She did a lot of work on synthetic methodologies, trying to find new ways to make molecules, which at the time people were making in the labs and they were important. But later, those methodologies were used to make even more important molecules. But 10 years from now could accelerate the advancement of something else. She was all seeing and she worked internationally with so many people. If she hadn't got the skill, she'd learn it from somewhere else. I mean, I remember waiting during my PhD for NMR spectra, which will mean nothing to most people. And we needed them and we had a very simple instrument up in UCD. It might have been, say, 50 megahertz, which means nothing again, but it's a very small scale, very difficult to look at natural products at that level. Dervilly used to send the samples off to France. And I remember waiting, like the thesis was half written and we were still waiting for the spectra to come back and the excitement of it. Like now you can get those spectra in 20 minutes at 600 megahertz. You know, but she did the science then at that scale that we do it now. But it just took a bit longer and she'd get there. Oh, Lord save us. And I think I got on the plane, went to Paris and went straight over to Gives-Sulivet and used their equipment to identify NMR, mass spec. And so it ended up, I used to go for three months every year to Paris with all my chemicals that I had isolated from my research team here, get on the aircraft. I, anybody looking at me said I had got the drugs, I was in the trade. <laughs> and... No bother, actually. You couldn't do it today, you see. It sounds it sounds absolutely crazy. Anybody who'd opened my luggage would have found crystals. It's like you, you were cooking mess or something. Yeah, when you think about it. But it was the only way. See, there wasn't enough money. It was, it was good fun. I was so lucky. And by doing that initially, I um, worked with a, a lady called Judith Polonsky, and Judith Polonsky was on the staff in the institute, the uh, Paris Institute. And it happened that, in fact, she had just become divorced. And she asked would, me, would I stay in her apartment in, in, in Paris? And this was fantastic for me because of cost-wise as well as everything else. But I got to know her and, and she was a brilliant chemist. She had two daughters and one daughter was married to this gentleman that was the director of the, of the Paris Opera House. I, we had a box in the Opera House. But it was rather funny. My research students in time began to notice that I used to disappear for three months. <laughs> and of course, I couldn't when my research team got big. But they went over instead of me. 
most of my research students got opportunities to work. But that friendship they had was very, very special. And I think they inspired each other. And then Dervila shared us with Judith and Judith minded us as if we were like, like I would, if I was sending a child of mine on an exchange, we were taken in there and we were nurtured. You know, like my entire world extended then. But she had great ties from all across Europe and across the world in terms of potential collaborations. And she was very keen that we benefited from those interactions. Through her collaborations, we were aware of people working in in similar or related areas in other countries because of her her vast knowledge of organic chemistry and the um, bioorganic chemistry. We were kept aware of current developments in those areas worldwide. That, that's a very important thing to have. And not many people, I think, in Ireland had that at the time, that they were able to look outside of Ireland for opportunities. And if we didn't have it, someone else might have. And you'll never get anything in life unless you ask. And she was very good at asking. You know, always had a, a nice personality about doing that. So that's why people were keen to collaborate. She had great popularity. And, you know, she I don't even know if she knew how popular she was. She made these connections, but she didn't keep them for herself. And I've seen loads of people during my career who build this world of theirs as, you know, as academics, but don't necessarily share it. She built it for us. So we had the opportunity to meet Nobel laureates, to study with them. She brought the famous people from across the world. I remember meeting Carl Jurassic. A lot of his work was around the contest pill, like this is in the like like the early eighties, you know. I mean, what a rock of science, George Pettit, um, Derek Barton, you know. I, she got me a place in in Oxford University working with Sir Jack Baldwin. I mean, honestly, you know, we couldn't have aspired to it. I got a scholarship that Derville knew from somewhere because she was mapping the landscape for us. So that sort of outward looking, I would say, European looking view, you know, not many people had that at the time. So that's why she got very much involved in policy in terms of the European Science Foundation. And she was very keen that Ireland got involved in European networks. Dervla developed and managed one of the first academic research networks in Europe in the 1970s and went on to take up numerous senior positions in European science networks, including chair of the European Science Research Council, Vice President of the European Science Foundation, Member of the Austrian Council for Science and Technology Development, and involvement in many international science bodies in the USA, South Africa and South America. And really could see early on that Europe was where it was all at in terms of potential collaborations, but also potential sources of funding as well. And when you hear that, you kind of go, that's kind of obvious. But when you place that at the time that she was Correct. doing it, it was far from that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, in many ways, she was a visionary. You know, she really um, went outside her office and many academics didn't go outside their office or their own labs at the time. And she had the vision and the foresight to get involved in all of those sort of things. But ultimately, the role she played benefited Ireland and researchers in Ireland um, significantly, I would say. So there was nothing selfish about what she did. What She had such foresight. But I think she knew that these people had ideas and that they would really fuel your intellectual curiosity. She, she just was marvellous in that way. Dervla's ability to connect to people I could feel when I met her. She has a gentle, respectful approach, partnered with a steely determination to get the job done, and all driven by a passion for knowledge and an insatiable curiosity. When we were sitting, looking out on her garden, She had on her side table a small book, The Usefulness of Useless Knowledge by Abraham Flexner. 
That is an amazing book. Usefulness of useless knowledge was a man called Flexner, and he was an advisor to the American group who ended up setting up the first Institute for Advanced Studies in Princeton. And the standard was that you were allowed to do any work you liked, no ties on it, you have no degrees, just do your research. And now there are many, many institutes for advanced studies in the world. Including the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies, where in 1995 the President of Ireland on the nomination of the Taoiseach appointed Dervla as chair. Uh, But isn't it usefulness of useless knowledge? And it's a fact of life. You see, people, when they do research in science... They're doing it because they love what they want to do or they're curious of what they want to do. The point about it is you might realise what they were saying or of what value it was until years later and then suddenly everybody realised. Like Marconi was the man who made the money over the wireless. But he wasn't the man who thought of it originally. It was a scientist who, in fact, did some work that allowed Marconi's result. So it's the application of science makes the money whilst the science, the fundamental scientists, could take years before people realise the value of what they were doing. That is so true, the usefulness of useless knowledge. Well, there is a a continuing argument about research, whether it should be funded for applied research or fundamental research, so-called blue skies. And I would agree with her that uh, there's no such thing as useless information. You know, you never know that what you're working on now while it's of of maybe personal interest to the academic and to the researchers involved in that particular area, that suddenly might become very important later on. So who would have known that maybe working with vaccines could have been so important? Now, we all know the importance of vaccines, but certainly with the um, onset of COVID-19 and the requirement to have the ability to find a vaccine at relatively short notice, that could help to cope with that vaccine, but in addition to be able to make it at such high levels so quickly, that's all knowledge that has been built up over time and 20 years ago you might not have known that some of the fundamental research let's say that the Moderna people were using as how they made their vaccines and how they designed them could have had such an impact on humanity thereafter. So that that's the real trick and it would behove then I would say to a lot of the European and national funders to always understand that the funding of basic research is so critical. So basic research, but the potential to be applied, and hopefully sometime soon that might go all the way from what we call bench to bedside, that it actually becomes something of use for humanity. Like we have two kinds of approaches to science. One is reactive, and then the other is proactive and intuitive and far-reaching. Derville was the latter. She had the solutions to the things that weren't even problems. That's what we need. You know, no single scientific discipline is isolated from anything else. And so if we don't build the other areas just from intellectual curiosity point of view. So I do think that blue skies is essential. You know, if people ever want to make legacies to science, they should make their legacies or make those gifts to science in the speculative end to a degree, not stupidity like, but where people can look at questions that maybe if you get funded by one of the scientific funders in Ireland, it's much more rigorous, it's much more contained, it has to fit in a box. It's the out-of-box thinking that has changed the world. 
It is that out-of-box thinking, intense curiosity and rigorous research which Dervlin instilled in her students. My entire working life has been spent working on natural products, so things that come from plants or the marine. Their potential to inspire um, new molecules, th- those that they deliver and maybe, you know, scaffolds from nature that you can use as the basis of medicines. One of the highlights, I suppose, of my career would be bringing something from a plant which had a traditional use, indigenous medicine, bringing molecule that it wasn't natural, but it was built on that natural molecule through to human clinical trials for the treatment of inflammatory bowel disease. So that was a huge thing. And I I think even now I'm only really beginning to realise the importance of that journey, not even in bringing something that far forward, but what we learned and then how what you've learned you can pass on to your students. We've just started actually a centre, which is the NatPro Centre here in Trinity College. And that is an extension of everything Dervila was. And and I think she is like she. So I I have worked on her inspiration. Now I've obviously developed my own skills, but like she was such a rock. She changed the the. I mean, she changed all of us. Yeah. She changed the journey of our lives. And I could have gone in there and done a PhD with you know several other people. And I don't believe. Well, I I, I found my place with Dervila, and part of what I needed was also the security. And I felt a tremendous security working for a woman, and I didn't even understand that. I didn't know what I was looking for in that, but I was looking for something because I knew I was in this kind of male dominated place and I felt safe. And I hope the students who work with me get some element of what I got from her and I strive for that. Dervlin knew the importance of providing support structures. She was one of the founder members of WITS, Women in Technology and Science Ireland, who awarded her the inaugural Lifetime Achievement Award in 2011. Dr. Andrea Johnson, Chair of WITS. If you talk to um, the women that we've given Lifetime Achievement Awards to, when you look at those women, it it was very, very different. And so you're you're breaking down barriers. You're really overcoming some, like, structural difficulties there that these obstacles are in your way. It's hard enough to trailblaze for your own career then to have your hand out behind you making sure that you have people that you're making that path easier for others I always find it really interesting when you see groups of women come together to do that because they know how important that is it's no good that you've blazed the path yourself you need to make the path easier for the women that come behind you it is very important but you're not bringing them along just because they were women, you know what I mean? You were bringing them along because they were ideal for that situation. I do do like people to be comfortable. I do like people to, if they want something, you do the very best if you think it is the correct thing to do. You must also believe that they deserve it. I'm not a, I'm not a holy Joe. <laughs> And then when even she attends WITS events, she, she gives you that real rich context to how we've gotten to where we are and what we need to do next. She's still very current. And do you think now, do you think now we have gender equality? Well, if you look at all the data, it will tell you no. Um, so we still have uh, a long way to go. So, I mean, I don't think we have that equality yet. I think things have started to improve, but I think there's still a lot of work to do. 
when you think about what she's done herself. As I say, it's not just about trailblazing in that chemistry area. I think it's then about making that very relevant to the scientific community. You know, one of her greatest legacies for me is my engagement with society, with citizens, with students, because I think that the idea of inspiring curiosity, that triggers creativity, which in turn links to innovation. And that is the circularity I would see that she started in our minds way before anyone used that vocabulary. Looking back, I had an interesting life. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've been very lucky. I like people. I dislike some people, but I like people on the whole. And, you know, if you can do something for anybody, do it. And you're working for the students. You want to solve a problem. I'll probably never stop. <laughs> maybe what I've solved, I was wasting every time. But maybe in time, useless of useless research will come to pass, you know. I got the book, The Usefulness of Useless Knowledge. And this is what I read. Curiosity, which may or may not eventuate in something useful, is probably the outstanding characteristic of modern thinking. It is not new. It goes back to Galileo, Bacon and Sir Isaac Newton. And it must be absolutely unhampered. We make ourselves no promises, but we cherish the hope that the unobstructed pursuit of useless knowledge will prove to have consequences in the future as in the past. And I think that is what Dervla Donnelly did all of her life. Cultivate curiosity, leaving a legacy of scientific knowledge and the scientists she inspired. Groundbreakers, Dervla Donnelly, is a curious broadcast production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. Produced, edited and narrated by Patricia Baker. Final mix, Dunal Corrigan, Contact Studio. Original music score by Jerry Horn. For more on the Groundbreaker series, visit Newstalk.com.